Hi, this is the Tony Awards. Jake is not here again because he had to work, but today I'm joined by Mr. Joey D'Alessio. Hello. And Mr. Kevin Burke. Yeah. <laughs> Don't afford a, a live studio audience in case people at home can't see. <laughs> and today we are discussing Juliet and the Licks, which was Juliet Lewis's band for a few years. Uh, we're talking about their first two albums, You're Speaking My Language, released in 2005, and Four on the Floor, released in 2006. Uh, so before so we... So does that mean we're not talking about the previously released EP? No, I considered it, but I was like, mm. Okay. Did you listen to the EP? I listened to part of the EP. Okay, cool. Okay. What did you think of the EP then? Um, it was actually, it came on somehow stronger than the albums came on. Oh, uh, did you not like the albums? Um, no, I'm, I'm, we'll get into it, but <laughs> I'm just saying it's maybe worth mentioning the EP as well once we get into it. I think that generally I have more of a soft spot for EPs than albums. I'm actually the opposite. I, I mean, especially with all my vinyl over there, oh, everything yeah. is LP. Because, you know, I like having it on in the background, listen to the entire story, you know, put it on while I'm cooking or whatever. Uh, but EPs are good, too. Nice and short and to the point. Yeah, I think that uh, I, had, I once had a friend tell me that to listen to an album is to get songs, like, in their full context. Um, which I've been listening to albums on shuffle my whole life, so... I think that that's a bit of a sin in the music head community, but um, Joey, yeah. is, you're a musician, so I you am. have a particular, and you also have an audiographed album of Juliet Lewis's. I was wondering if I were going to mention that. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. that's uh, Future Deep, but uh, it's not Juliet Lewis and the Licks. It's just Juliet uh, Juliet Lewis. Yeah, yeah. So. Her ass looks really good in it. Oh yeah, it does live um, too. I feel like her ass is prominent in one of the other cover arts as well. Well, she did an interview where she said that her work is like about sexuality. Yeah, that tracks. So it makes sense. But, or maybe her ass is just in the cover art and I've been focusing on it because I'm replicating the male gaze. I feel like every album art I've seen of her, I've seen her do live. Like, it, to the point that it's like a shtick. Yeah? Yeah. Um, I just realized that Four on the Floor has some pretty problematic cover art that is not on Spotify. But I googled it and it's her in like a Native American feather on oh, her head. Oh, I actually uh, have seen that. Posing with a bow and arrow. I saw some stills of live performances where she did that. Oh, she brought it to the yeah. concert? I love that. Oh, yeah. And she has, like, war paint on. That's cool. Um, I mean, the I'm Spotify a, version has Spotify a big American is, flag in the background. It's a Native American no, flag? No, Amer American oh, flag. Okay. A big American flag, I think. Yeah. Um, I don't know anything about music, and I'm having a low-energy day today. So <laughs> this episode is going to be Fun. But I don't know if we want to go through the albums just like by song. Um, You're Speaking My Language begins with a track called Intro, which is just like static and like muffled voices. Right. Um, I mean, the real album starts in the second track. Yeah, and I, You're Speaking My Language. Yeah, and it's a title track. I, this is where I think most people will either be all in on the album or immediately check out. Yeah. Which is the first thing she says 
which you wrote down here. You wrote, <laughs> she wrote down. She says, this one goes out to the entire world, <laughs> which, which is, it feels like a choice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I liked your speaking my language as a song. I partially because um, I was talking about it before, but we've also dealt, this is the Tony Ward podcast. It was originally about Tony Collette. And about a year ago, we investigated Tony Collette's musical career, which was not good. So I feel like Juliette Lewis, just by virtue of like committing to like the rock star voice, like she's really committed to like ruining her voice, basically. Um, and I respected that and yeah, I really totally. liked it. It was a very energetic song. I was listening to it like at my desk at work and I was like, I want to get up and dance. I, I feel like every single one of her songs is a workout. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I was like, I'm going to start going to the gym after listening to this. <laughs> I was going to say, I thought her voice kind of sounded like Janis Joplin a little bit. Ooh. Yeah. Is that too I'm far sure she's, no, 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 no. I definitely hear that. I was even thinking, like, it sounds like if Led Zeppelin tried to do a, um, a Janis Joplin cover. Like, she's definitely got that in the vocals, but then everything is just, like, straight-ahead blues and riff rock, uh, which is totally cool. I mean, I've played in bands like that, too, but she very much has that, like, Janis Joplin, like, this-is-me-deal-with-it kind of vibe. Yeah. I was getting, um, I think kind of more so in the second album, some real vibes of, like, when Patti Smith covered Smells Like Teen Spirit. Mm. She does that kind of, like, half-talk, Thing. Yeah, I noticed um, that too, which but, I kind of liked actually. Yeah, yeah, I was into it. But whenever people talk in songs, I get uncomfortable. <laughs> it felt more of the time it was released. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm looking for. Sorry, I'm looking for a quote of her where she would where she was talking but i didn't write them down probably because i figured i would remember them can i ask <laughs> sam why are you having a low energy day um i i i don't know i mean i went i went to sleep late kind of late last night i was staying up late watching real housewives of new jersey season four mm -hmm. and i think that the drama of that show just pulled all of the energy like out of me and like it now belongs to Teresa Judice, and I don't have access to it anymore. Right. It's all hers. Are you having a high energy day? No, but I don't get the reference, but <laughs> I feel like I understand it anyway. Yeah. Um, you guys I, are both teachers. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, what age group? Uh, middle school, eighth grade. Nice. Yeah, I, I was uh, pre-K through eighth grade for three years, and I've been in high school for the last, I just submitted my contract for year eight. Oh, wow. Yeah. What do you teach? I'm the chair of the music department, and I also teach Brit Lit. Oh, cool. I didn't know you also taught Brit Lit. Oh, yeah. I thought that you were, I mean, I don't want to say, like, just oh, yeah, orchestra yeah. band director, but... Um. Yeah, I'm in charge of everything. All the, um, all the ensembles, theory, performance, music tech, uh, this, that, and the other. And then they were like, oh, by the way, you also have a degree in literature? Here you go. That's cool. Yeah. So that's my degree of job security. Yeah, yeah. Um, I had a friend who, I mean, you probably know this, but his degree is in like social studies. I don't know. Um, and they have him teaching chemistry at his school. Yeah. I'm also teaching science and no, his, no background in science. At all. <laughs> so yeah, that's more common than you might think. Yeah. Yeah. 
I, it, it, it's hopeful in a sense, because I'm like, wow, like, if I can bring it back to me for a second, <laughs> like, well, I'm probably qualified to do anything. Um, okay. You're qualified to do anything? <laughs> I feel like that's it came, one of those, like, motivational cat posters. It came <laughs> off as insulting to you guys more than anything, I think. But I'm like, wow, if, you know, if, if, if Kevin Burke can teach science, then I can scale a wall. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I can't. You're scaling a wall right now. Oh, my gosh. Get down from there. <laughs> what are you doing? You don't have to prove your point. I Sam. love an audio-only medium. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, the album goes on to Money in My Pocket, which I'm going to say right now was the low point of the album, but that's uh, that's honestly good because it, it means that it was just up from there. Um, the, she has the line, the world's gone crazy, but I've got my friends, which struck me as a little bit Radio Disney. Mm. Um, but then she sings, this is where the heartache ends and begins. And I was like, damn, that's so... I'm going to think about that. Yeah, what does that mean? Yeah. If I, the heartache I, ends and begins. I, I, I don't know. I don't have access to the rest of the lyrics. So. <laughs> um, I couldn't tell you. Well, also, I mean, I think that as a podcast host, I'm in an uncomfortable position um, because when it comes to movies and TV... And basically anything, like, all I care about is the dialogue and the words. That's not, like, all I care about, but that's all that I have, like, a base of knowledge mm. around. Uh, but I read an interview with Juliette Lewis that she did earlier this year where she said, only now do I feel like I'm a better songwriter. But in the beginning, I was a lot more of a performer, and the goal of the songs was to get people on their feet. Oh, okay. So it's almost like the the content of the lyrics takes kind of a backseat to the more musical elements. See, now that's really interesting because no matter who it is, lyrics are just personally the last thing I pay attention to. Yeah. Like, especially as a performer, I use them almost as like cues for like, here comes the chorus. Oh. It has to be like really like, hey man, pay attention to this to, yeah. for me to be like, oh yeah, I know the words to that song. <laughs> I don't know the words to my own songs. Oh my God. <laughs> Seriously. That is really interesting, though, because that's exactly how I took these albums. Of like, I listened to them like pretty much back to back, and just kind of listening to them generally, I really li like, I kind of liked it, right? Like, mm -hmm. a lot of the songs were like, I can vibe with this. Like, this is like a mood. But then, like, I'd catch, like, I'd catch a lyric and be like, that doesn't sound very good. <laughs> but, like, if I, if I, if I glaze over the lyrics, I like it a lot more. Yeah, for me, for every song, I was reading the lyrics online, being like, what's the story here? What is she talking about? <laughs> and like nine times out of ten, could not tell you. Yeah. But it was, it, it, they, they were jams. They were jams. Um, the next song on the album is American Boy Volume 2, which I didn't realize is a continuation of a song from their EP. Um... Yeah, that made more sense, because I saw that, and I was like, will I understand this if I haven't heard American Boy Volume 1? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and totally, yes, I could, because I disregarded the lyrics. Yeah, it was, there were some, uh, there, there was a line, blue-eyed, culture-deprived American boy, which I thought was a good rhyme. 
But also, Julia Lewis was a Scientologist for a very long time. And only recently, didn't even denounce it, but just was like, I'm not associated with them anymore. Uh, in like a New York Times interview. So, so this is actually really interesting because that's maybe one of the only things I know about her. <laughs> <laughs> like, like when Sam told me that her podcast was actually a, not about Tony Collette anymore, it's about Juliette Lewis. I'm like, oh, Juliette Lewis? Like, that's great. Like, I've seen a bunch of her movies. Thinking... That Juliette Lewis was actually Julianne Moore. <laughs> just thought it was a totally different person. Oh, that's I amazing. fucking wish we were covering Julianne Moore. Honestly. In my head, I'm like, oh my gosh, yeah, I just saw Dear Evan Hansen. You know what I mean? <laughs> but then I'm like, oh, Juliette Lewis is different. And I don't think I've seen many of her movies. <laughs> I went into these albums almost with a clean slate. Like, nothing to go on, nothing... Yeah. It was like it was my first experience with Juliet. See, now that's really interesting because, like, sure, I know of her as an actress, but I always think of her as a musician first. Yeah. yeah well, yeah. you've been a you you've been a fan for quite some time. Yeah, I saw her live. I got the album and everything. Yeah. 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 She puts on a good show. Mm-hmm. She, and it does. From what I've heard, it seems like she really is such like a performer. Mm. She was she was compared to, to like. Like Ziggy Stardust, I think, in uh, that, an article that's That might be a bit of a stretch, wrote. but I get where they're going with that. Like, the whole thing with, like, Ziggy is, like, on stage, but then he walks off and now he's David Bowie. Like, uh, I don't think it's, like, so much, like, a new persona, but yeah. it is kind of, like, a personality mm. on stage. Um, and, like, even when I saw her back in, like, 2016, um, afterwards, hanging out at the bar, she was just like, oh, yeah, hey, man, how's it going? And then on stage, I'm like, you are literally sweating. Oh my yeah. god. Wait, you you met Juliette Lewis? Yeah, one of my uh, former bass teachers uh, was her touring bass player for a while, so I went out when they were in Brooklyn, and he was like, hey man, just stick around. Cool. And the weirdest thing is, it, like, it's a rock band. I'm like, hey Juan, can I buy you a drink? And he's like, yeah, can I get a Negroni? I'm like, who the fuck drinks a Negroni? <laughs> I, he sounds racist. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I, I'm so glad that she was cool. Yeah, yeah, totally. Because... Sometimes, you know, like, I, I want, not about her in particular, but sometimes I'm a fan of somebody and I hear that they're, like, weird if you meet them in person. Yeah, which, that whole, like, don't meet your heroes thing. Yeah, and I feel like if I was famous and people met me in person, they would be disappointed, like, 100% of the time. <laughs> I don't know about cause that. Because I would just be like, oh, yeah, sorry, I can't talk. I've been watching too much Bravo. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, there were a lot of lines throughout throughout both albums that, like, you hear and you're like, oh, like that's the hook. Mm. It's like that line come, that line came first, and then the entire song it seems like was written around it. Mm. Yeah, I mean that that makes sense for a lot of songwriting, like just writing a hook for a chorus and like there's the idea, there's mm -hmm. the thematic element, and then just put shit together around it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But she does like very much have her own voice. I think before I was saying like you know it's basically bluesy riff rock like that's so many things but it, it, it's interesting i even put a note for the first album because i was familiar with her stuff but not this album in particular and i was like oh man like seventh synth uh or seventh sign i was like mm -hmm. doesn't sound like her and i put a note for you're speaking my language as a whole and i was like i felt like she couldn't find her voice there's a yeah yeah there it it seems like in the first album there's kind of just like something missing 
And then it seems like somebody trying to make an album. Mm -hmm. And then as soon as I started the second album, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Even though on Spotify, a couple of the songs were like mislabeled as each other. Sure. I don't know if that was for you guys too. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know that I noticed that. Um, but that's interesting. When we get to the second album, I got a couple of points. I wonder why it sounds a little more polished. I might have some ooh, hypothesis there. Okay. Yeah. The uh, the song, I never got to tell you what I wanted to. Um, I couldn't figure out. I. It's like, it, I think it was a case of me overthinking it because I'm like, she's talking about sisters and she's talking about like brothers and i'm like is this a girl who wants to fuck her brother and i'm like who is she talking about but at the end i think i think it's just like this is about when somebody dies um and it didn't feel like it was going to be the end of their life i love how you have something meaningful to say and my only note for that song was really good bass tone <laughs> but see every time i listen to a song i like i i could not name in any song. I could not name any of the instruments that I'm hearing, mm -hmm. like, if I tried. Like, I'll hear a trumpet and be like, six sax riffs, yeah, yeah. bro. <laughs> like, I just, I'm completely illiterate, illiterate when it comes to that. Um, but... You know, actually, speaking of the instruments, I also have a note, like, you know, it's straight-ahead rock band, so you need to think, like, you know, bass, drum, guitars, vocals, power trio, and vocals. And then I said, it's interesting, there's only synthesizer in the second half of the album. Oh. So, again, like, my previous point, like, really couldn't find its voice. Mm -hmm. Like, the album seemed to not know what it wanted to be. Yeah, yeah. Um, for the song This I Know, again, with lyrics, um, it feels like a lot of the lyrics before, there, there was, like, a structure, mm -hmm. you know, like... Verse A, chorus, verse B, chorus. And right. then this I know, that kind of all falls apart at the end. Which I enjoy. I like it when a song, like, doesn't even end on a rhyme. Just, like, sort of a meandering sentence. Yeah, totally. It feels very authentic and honest to me. Yeah, because I, I feel like, you know, thinking lyrically, if something rhymes perfectly, it's almost like, did you say that because it rhymes, or did mm -hmm. you say it because that's the word you wanted to say? Yeah. Yeah, and I think, not to drift away from music, but that's why I like Emily Dickinson so much, because mm -hmm. it's like, I'm going to make this word rhyme, even hey. though it shouldn't, <laughs> you know, all these, like, forced and slant rhymes. Yeah, yeah, I love a slant rhyme. I love, like, I hate just a regular rhyming poem. Mm -hmm. I'm like... You think you're so cute, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> totally. I get so offended. Yeah, it's like kind of like saccharine sweet. And uh -huh. like, this is a rock band. You don't want sweet. Yeah. But like, maybe that's also. Do we know who's writing the songs or who's writing the lyrics? I think it was her. The... Yeah, I, I don't know for certain. I looked up the personnel at least for the instrumentalists and stuff, but I didn't see songwriting credits. But I would so not be surprised if it were her. Sometimes a lack of rhyme. Just from like what I think I've noticed is when one person writes lyrics and another person writes puts uh, it to a song, mm -hmm. um, yeah. Because then it's like the lyrics are already there, so they can't like make it work with their with their schemes. So mm -hmm. sometimes it just doesn't end up rhyming that way. Yeah. yeah, I mean that's the cool thing about like any art form. Really, there's no cookie cutter model for it. Like I played in this band for five years, where like I didn't write a single lyric, but I wrote a lot of the music. And part of it was like our drummer Pete would come in with literally a poem and just mm -hmm. the scansion of it. I was like, okay, da 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 da, one e and a two e. Oh, okay, cool. And then I had a rhythm, yeah. so it was like the natural flow of the words created a rhythm, and just that beat 
was like, oh, cool, so change chords here. And, like, it, it was very organic. Yeah. Um, but I, I totally get what you're saying. That's like, cool. I work with certain drummers better than I work with other drummers, and same with singers and mm -hmm. vice versa, because there's that personal aspect to it. Like, no matter as you how hard you try to be like, I'm going to write a song that sounds like Nirvana, you're still going to kind of sound like you. Um, so, that, yeah, that's a, that's a cool point, man. Yeah. Do you, I, you were posting, like, guitar comedy over the pandemic, right? A little bit. Do you do that, like, at mics and stuff now? Yeah, yeah. That's so cool. I feel like I haven't, like, I mean, I used to see you at comic strip mics a lot. But yeah, I feel like that's where I met you, right? Yeah. At those comic... I haven't. I don't think I've been back to the comic strip since I, the pandemic. I've been to the comic strip like a couple times. Their uh, their manager yelled at a server for asking someone for their vaccine card. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> is is that the comic strip uh, strip up by here? Yeah. Yep. I just yeah. Walked I, by. Right here. Not long ago, probably over the summer, I was leaving dinner with um, er, my sister and her fiance. And I'm just walking by, I'm on the phone, and I see a comic who I like. And I'm like, Dan St. Germain, what the hell? Blah, blah, blah. And he was like, how do you know who I am? <laughs> and I was like, you have a Comedy Central special, blah, blah, blah. And he was like, all right. And he's like, felt like, like, he was a cool dude and everything. Mm -hmm. He just went out for a smoke. But um, I just got that kind of, like, don't want to badmouth the place, I've not been there. But I got like a kind of like divey in a good way vibe yeah. from it. Like, in the same way, like, a, a bluesy rock band like this, you would want to see them in a venue like that. Like, I might not want to use the bathroom here. Yeah. That's the venue. I, um, yeah, the hand dryers in the bathroom mm. have never worked. Mm. Um, I feel like on the Upper East Side, it's very, it, like, the comic strip's been around since, like, the 80s or 90s, mm. I think. And that makes it, like, an old venue. Right. Like, they're like, we've been around since fucking Clinton, We're dude. the first <gasps> comedy club ever. Uh -huh. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. feel so old. Yeah. <laughs> my, my take on the comic strip, just knowing very little, is I actually like how it looks on the inside. Like, mm -hmm. I actually think it's, like, an interesting space. I like the vibe, yeah. Um, but... It's also, from what I remember, like ten dollars to do mm. a set there, <laughs> which is like they're very expensive mics. Oh yeah, uh, and they're run by Republicans. Yeah, like, ah, there you go. I, yeah. I mean, a little little tip is most comedy clubs are run by Republicans, yeah. and it's upsetting. Is that like a thing? Is that to like maybe like as Republicans are like inherently more conservative? Is that like we don't want to alienate any audiences? I think it's, um, it might be like a, a, a capitalism thing. Oh, okay, cool. I, I feel like today it's like left-wing people are kind of, they're, at least in our age group, there's not a lot of like democratic capitalists anymore. And a lot of comedy club owners are like, it's a fucking business, mm, you know? Like would be just more likely to care about like charging people x amount a night to whatever yeah you know for a couple of years i used to be in the house band for a comedy show in brooklyn at uh union hall and there was this show it's a venue where it's like the comedy venues downstairs and the bar is upstairs and uh the band would interact with all the comics it was a show called rent party it even had its own theme song 
Um, but like based on whatever the comic was talking about, the band would improvise music behind them, or like they might even explicitly say like, "Hey, can you play this Beyonce tune while I do this or whatever?" Cool. And it was like really cool and had that grassroots kind of vibe to it. But then you go upstairs and literally there's a bocce ball court. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, bocce is the the most Republican pastime. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> It's solely played by like second generation Irish immigrants in Brooklyn. Yeah. Do we know what political affiliations Juliette Lewis has? Um, yeah, she's she, she's like pro BLM. Okay. Um, she's she's like vaguely leftist, I think. Um, but she's also, I mean, I think that she's like in the sense that she's like the capital rioters should be thrown in jail forever, you know? Like, maybe not that far to the left, but... I yeah. was Googling it today, because there's a lot of, like, uh, there. there's a song here where she's like, I'm tired of this police state. Yeah, I was just about <laughs> to say that. There was multiple lyrics where it's like, I felt like she was on the verge of a profound political point, but mm -hmm. the lyrics are just so vague in a lot of places that I'm like... What do you mean by that? Like, yeah. be more specific yeah. there. See, you know, I was thinking somewhat tangentially to that. Like, she's an actress, so she's got scripts and sides given to her where, like, sure, there's room for interpretation, but it's like, you say this this way. Mm -hmm. So with an album that she created, there's some degree of agency there of, like, yeah, I don't care what the script says. I'm going to do it the way I want to do it. Yeah. Uh, so I wonder if, because she's mostly given stuff like, here, you say my words, I wonder if just that lack of experience saying like here's the words I want to say maybe that's how she came into her own into yeah. you know future albums yeah and I definitely want to listen to her later albums after this because she she said in that interview I think she said something to the to the point of like I listen to my older records and I don't like them mm. which I think which I think makes sense I mean because it's so she has said that when you're acting you're just one part of like a much larger thing and whether the movie ends up being good it doesn't all fall on you it falls on like the director and the editor and mm. like all this and then with music even though she has other band members and things um it is her lyrics yeah. and she and she's the vocalist so yeah so there's so, a reason it's, it's called the front man or yeah, front person yeah yeah, yeah. Um, so it's more like her. But the thing, at least for the first album that we were just saying about maybe not being as, uh, or being more vague than, than we'd like her to be, I think that goes directly with what the first line was, where she's like, this one goes out to the <laughs> Yeah, sure. Because most of the time when people say that, like, what, what do they say? Like, this one goes out to the kid who was picked last in gym, yeah. like, yeah. stuff like that. But when, when she's making her dedication, it's like, everyone. Yeah. Like, I don't want to specify anything. Uh-huh. Which I think probably connects to that. Yeah, yeah. There is a sort of, um, yeah, there is a lack of specificity that goes throughout the entire album. Specifically, the song Pray for the Band LaToya, during which we don't really know who LaToya is. Um... And I, I'm assuming not the Jackson sister. <laughs> Maybe it is, but that's the one, the line that's like, oh yeah, stay righteous. You've got to adjust your condition. Uh, oh yeah, stay righteous. You've got to find the solution. My power is purity. 
Which I don't. It sound it's it seemed Scientologisty. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Yeah, with the power and purity. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, we probably could actually break down some of these lyrics, just because, like, twenty years twenty years old. I remember crawling on the bathroom floor, white walls turning crimson. I couldn't take it anymore. Sweating, kicking all alone. Maybe she is referencing something that we're just not aware of. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. I have a, such a pet peeve against the word crimson. Like, I feel like <laughs> it's just always used for blood. Like, it's not blood red, it's crimson red. Crimson peak, yeah. crimson... I'm like, fucking... Have a better vocabulary. <laughs> uh, yeah. The, the song Got Love to Kill remix. It's mm. a remix of their song from their EP. I feel like it kind of encapsulates the entire album because the chorus starts out, didn't you want to change the world? And then segues into, do you want me? Mm. It's this weird sort of there's, especially in um, Smash and Grab from Four on the Floor, there's this sort of interweaving of like political things. And then it goes into like sexuality. It's this, it, it just seems like she's about to, like, fuck at the DNC. That's the name of the new album. That's mm -hmm. awesome. Fucking at, at the, the DNC. DNC. DTF at the DNC. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, also, I feel like that's so very much her vibe. Like, a lot of the stuff that I think of, like, that sounds like Juliette Lewis is inherently sexual. And, like, the iconography. Like, she wears a fucking evil Knievel jumpsuit on stage. <laughs> and, like, just has the American flag and all kinds of, like patriotic imagery all over the place yeah yeah so i guess that's where i'm i need to fill in the blanks knowing nothing about juliet uh -huh. and the licks i like have no idea what their image is or because if you it, personally if i see a woman looking sexy in front of an american flag like my guard is up mm. i'm i'm very concerned that they're standing the imperialist state i just got like really 80s rock vibes from like anytime i see her with that kind of stuff yeah. i'm like yeah of course that tracks yeah yeah it's funny to like see the american flag and be like oh yeah from rock music yeah 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 <laughs> totally you know that thing that's based off african culture uh -huh. america yeah but do we have any more comments on the first album before we get to four on the floor uh well kind of like in between these albums i was looking at like what the tour schedule was like and it's interesting for someone who like uh, I even said, like, couldn't find her voice. It doesn't sound like what I think of when I think of Juliette Lewis. After this album, they went on tour with Motorhead, Foo Fighters, Angels and Airwaves, and Queens of the Stone Age. Right, I saw yeah. that. Like, I could so see Queens and Foo Fighters. But, like, Angels and Airwaves, who I also saw live, they're awesome, but it's, like, synth rock, like, about aliens and emo stuff. And then Motorhead, fucking Motorhead. Like, yeah. I get as, like, a direct opener, but with all of those bands in the same tour, I, I'm like, man, they really couldn't find their vibe. But you could see elements of all of them in, like, mm -hmm. even from Four on the Floor on. Yeah. I, it, it makes me, like, almost wish that she did, like, um, like that, that album that Kesha did after, like, post- Dr. Luke scenario, mm -hmm. the really like stripped down that was just like her and a guitar singing yeah. like country songs. Um, it almost makes yeah, 
<laughs> it almost makes me wish that she had like one of those, but I think that that's once again just me being a lyric snob and being sure. I mean, like, maybe... take out everything except for the lyrics. <laughs> but maybe that's her later solo stuff that we just haven't listened to. Maybe. You know, maybe that's yeah. that vibe. Yeah. I, I also just liked that after the whole, I mean, it's still going on. I don't know why I don't see Free Kesha trending anymore, but like yeah. the name of that album was High Road. And like, this is her taking the high road, yeah. which is kind of cool because it's like, well, fuck you, I'm making an album anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Might have seen Kesha live more than a few times. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I was, um, I, I, I was like too pure of a child to mm. be into her when. In, in the age of like TikTok, mm-hmm. and then got into her in college when she came out with I think like Spaceship, mm-hmm. um, because Jake made me. Oh sure. Yeah, I went to his apartment and he sat me down and he was like, "We're listening to the new Kesha album." You know, every time I went to a Kesha show, uh, and it's not all that few. Every single time I've gone to a Kesha show, I've never not made friends with a drag queen. <sighs> Love that. Yeah. What, what was what's an experience of the Kesha show like? Oh, so like this past summer, so like my friends Kate and KP and I um, went out to see Kesha at uh, Pier 17. Is that it on the, like the west side or almost Fide? Uh, and yeah. like it's a rooftop bar mm-hmm. and it's really, really cool because it's just kind of standing room only, but it's the entire rooftop. Uh, puts on an amazing show. It's super friendly. Like it's one of those like, oh, I lost my friends in the crowd, but it's okay because I made 12 new ones. <laughs> And, like, she's very much, like, a partier in, like, a Beastie Boys sense on stage, or at least affects that personality or persona. Um, And just such a driving stage show. But I was kind of pissed off as a bassist who loves Kesha and wants to play for her one day. I'm looking and I was like, she's got a drummer, she's got a guitar, she's got dancers, (laughs) no bass player. And it's new like, you could have called me. Yeah, yeah, Uh, you'd be like, I mean, I could play bass, I guess. (laughs) But, yeah, a lot of fun. I saw the Lonely Island at Pier 17. Oh, hell yeah. And it was the it was the first concert that I'd been to, period, since I was, like, 15. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, this is so cool. But me and my friend had paid extra for, like, set, like, front area tickets. Um, and it was, like, the, the same as the other areas. Yeah. And I was like, wow. Not good. <laughs> I'm never coming back here for my next concert in 10 years. Right. Wait, what year was that that you saw Lonely 2019. Island? Oh, recently. Yeah. <laughs> did, they play, um, did they play any other Bash Brothers songs? Or was it I all... don't think so. I think that this was pre-Bash Brothers. Oh, uh, okay, gotcha. Yeah. Like Mighty Ducks Bash Brothers? No, they, um, they came out with something on Netflix that mm-hmm. was like... Uh, like, like, like a biopic of, like, baseball players doing steroids, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay, cool. I actually, that, I think that rings a bell. Yeah, I watched it while I was, like, too high, and I also don't know anything about mm-hmm. baseball. Um, and, I, and, I, and I just <laughs> was, like, not having a good time. <laughs> it was scary to me. But did you enjoy Bash Brothers? Yeah, I did. Yeah. <laughs> still, like, one of those songs still, like, pops into my head sometimes, and I'm like, why do I have... A comedy song about an obscure two players from the 80s like mm. in my head right now like it makes no sense yeah. that's amazing i really ride hard for the movie pop star never stop never stopping that's a good mm-hmm. honestly i've real. i've come to realize recently that of my comedy influences 
Andy Samberg might be like up there for me. <laughs> like I've come to realize that it's been like an accepting uh, process, but yeah. I think if I were to say most like one of the more influential comedians to me that makes sense i remember it's weird like being older and knowing factually like oh yeah andy samberg like he was kind of one of like the greats of his era Mm -hmm. of snl but remembering being a kid and watching andy samberg in real time on snl and then coming into school the next day and having kids be like SNL hasn't been good since the 70s and like it it, it literally was not good in the 70s yeah. <laughs> like it was bad but anyway I, I feel like Andy Samberg is still alright don't want to turn this into an Andy Samberg <laughs> podcast but in a way I feel like people don't even really bring him up that much like I feel like he was really big when we were little just as like a weird like meme like comedian like I'm on yeah. a boat type stuff mm-hmm. um but in like the pantheons of SNL I don't feel like people even like mention him much yeah yeah maybe not Andy Sam more like like Tina Fey like Seth Meyers yeah but which like I don't really think they're that funny <laughs> <laughs> I I mean I I started rewatching Thirty Rock a little while ago and I keep thinking that I've gotten to the point in Thirty Rock that I stopped watching when it was originally on the air mm-hmm. and then another episode comes up that I'm like oh yeah no I remember sitting on the floor of my mom's bedroom and watching this and it's like damn like I really consistently watched that show for like five years <laughs> as a child and had no memory of it that like continued into yeah, my adult that's life that's so weird except when... for like yeah. When you go back to, like, shows that you would watch every week as a kid, mm-hmm. but you don't actually process that, oh, this carried you through, like, eight years of your yeah. life. <laughs> so, like, it's all a blur. It's, yeah. It's wild. And there's so many, like, things that, like, I feel like when you're a kid, you just kind of, like, it, it's, like, the most passive time of taking in media of your life. Because you just don't really know anything about like how it's made, and you just kind of like take it in, and you're like, "This is this has to be good this because it's be on good. the yeah. television." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and then going back and being like, "Okay, so this was actually good, and this was shitty, and I couldn't tell the difference between the two of them as a kid." But um, so four on the floor, better than the first album. Yeah, I literally um, have a note in here, much better with three exclamation points. Really, uh-huh. that's interesting. I I kind of like the first one a little better. <laughs> but only just because I thought some of the songs stayed with me a little bit more. Yeah, mm. I kind of had less to say about this album. Um, but during Smash and Grab, I, I, I had to Google Juliette Lewis' Black Lives Matter just to be clear about where she stood. Because <laughs> uh, there's that sort of there's like the double meaning of the term hot pursuit that's like sexual and also criminal oh yeah, like, yeah yeah cops are chasing like we're, we leaped over the barricades or whatever and then she's like and also i'm fucking yeah it's so interesting because i always think of hot pursuit and maybe it's just like from like fast and the furious or whatever video game or need need for speed that's the one like mm-hmm. one is called hot pursuit so i just think like a cop chasing you yeah didn't really yeah. pick up on a racial overtone though Oh, yeah, no, yeah. I, I, I just feel like, um, I guess nowadays, I internally link cops sure. to, like, race. Yeah. 
um, which it, which is a connection that I don't think broadly existed in like the minds of the American public when this came out. Yeah. Um, but that, yeah, I mean that is that is a good observation. Like, what does Julia Lewis have to be afraid of? Yeah. For like, what is that's true? What is what is she on the run for in that song? Yeah. <laughs> to an autograph. She um she stole Evil Knievel's outfit. Oh yes. Yeah, yes. boy, did she. Yeah. <laughs> I was like just watching old Evil Knievel clips like two days ago. By the way, it's weird. <laughs> As you do. Yeah, like just like. Okay, anyway. He's a crazy gay. Um, the the song Sticky Honey doesn't make any sense. Mm. The lyrics are money, 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 sticky, sticky, sticky honey. Man lands on Mars, man rips off his broken parts. So I'm assuming that this is about Winnie the Pooh ending up on a jet plane to Mars with an astronaut. You know, it took me forever just growing up to realize, like, it. I thought it was honey acre woods, because, like, yeah, well, yeah. He, he eats honey, yeah. but it's hundred acre woods, right? Mm -hmm. And even then, I'm, like, 80% sure that that's right. <laughs> <laughs> that, listen, I mean, isn't it weird, like, being a kid and coming up with a better idea yeah, or yeah. something than the creators did? Right. Like, they really should have consulted you. Yeah, of course. Where were they? Mm -hmm. And where was I? I wasn't born yeah. yet, but yeah. they should have known. <laughs> In I like think, the 1930s. <laughs> I think of that so many, so much. Like, I'll listen to a song and be like, this is 90% good, but one line. <laughs> As teachers, we yeah, should yeah. just put that on papers. This was 90% good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's one line that doesn't rhyme and it would have been better with a rhyme. Mm. Something like that. Yeah. Uh... I like the song Death of a Whore. Oh, yeah. I Like, my favorite line, maybe this is a Juliet moment later, but, like, fuck you and fuck you and fuck you and uh -huh. fuck you some more. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's, like, it, it kind of starts out, like, grungy, and then there's, like, this weird kind of shift in the middle for, like, two seconds where she sings, all my life has come and gone, disappeared my mind, and it almost sounds, like... It sounds like almost happy for a minute, and mm -hmm. then it goes right into fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, and I was like, this rocks. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it, it was the first time that, in either of the albums, that I got surprised in the middle of the song. Mm. You know, it's funny, I, just circling back, I had a note for the very first song, Smash and Grab. Like, mm -hmm. at least on Spotify, it's not labeled as explicit. And the very first thing before the song starts is it sounds like she's, like, being pulled on stage or something. It's like, I know, I know, fuck. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, there, but there's no explicit tag? Yeah. I've, I actually noticed, and this is something I might, little preview, this might be one of my awards. Mm. But, but all of her albums, including the EP, the very beginning of it is meant to stand out a little bit like, yeah. like the way that this album starts is like you're right it's like shit shit fuck get on stage something like that yeah, and, it's, yeah. and it's like okay so that was how we started this album mm -hmm. the one before that was the the, the sounds muffled the sounds and then this one goes out to everyone in the world yeah. <laughs> well i mean like it kind of reflects like the live thing like you want to start it a set strong and end it strong and like part of that is not just starting with a good song but like something ambient to like be like oh the show is starting like add excitement yeah. to it and like that also i feel like 
artistically, it's not just a collection of songs in a row. It's like one cohesive story, but like, here's the beginning, and then here's everything I have to say about it. So I, w I wonder, I don't even remember if it ends uh, in an interesting way, if it's just like, nope, that's the end. Yeah. Oh, well, actually, I read online um, that this album ends with two bonus tracks that are oh. not on Spotify. Oh, yeah. Hidden tracks. Yeah. Hidden tracks. So we don't know. I, I, I always loved those hidden tracks <laughs> on like CDs and records. They were the 90s version of uh, credit scenes. Yeah, post-credit scenes. Post yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's a cool yeah. way to think about it. It thinks that they can't really do that anymore. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Now every movie either has a post credit scene or it doesn't. Sometimes I'll just leave on like a regular movie um, through the credits and then there's a post credit scene and I'm like, excuse me? Like, in, in, in my two-hour melancholy dramedy, there's a post credit mm. scene? Yeah, and it's funny how, like, at least I feel conditioned to wait for um, mm. for post-credits. Like, uh, we just saw the Agatha Christie movie, uh, Death on oh. the Nile, and I was like, wait, there might be post-credits. No, there's no post-credits. It's Agatha Christie? <laughs> yeah. 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 How was it? I, it was really good as a movie, but it definitely takes liberties uh, from the text. Okay. And there's every single time, like, Ar Army Hammer's in it, and every single time he looks, like, threatening in it, I just turned to Beth and I was like, he's gonna eat her. Yeah. <laughs> does he eat anybody in the movie? No, he doesn't eat anyone. Do, he, he does he the... suck a lot of face, but that's Ew. the <laughs> <laughs> Is he the killer? Uh, well, spoilers, yeah, he is one of them. <gasps> one of yeah. them. Mm. I love a multiple killer. Oh, reveal. yeah, yeah, it's like a, a Scream 5 uh -huh. thing. I'm just gonna spoil every movie. Yeah, <laughs> no, I love Bruce Willis was dead the whole time. This <laughs> podcast will come with a warning and it just says, if you are going to see the new Agatha Christie movie, yeah, <laughs> just so you know, there's a spoiler of that, mm -hmm. but the podcast is so. Juliet yeah. and the Licks. <laughs> yeah. If you're here for Juliet and the Licks, but you don't want the Agatha Christie movie spoiled, don't listen. Come for Juliet, stay for Andy Samberg. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to write a note in my phone so that I remember to put that in. <laughs> because I will not be editing this. I'll just be cutting out the... Uh, blank spots at the beginning and end <laughs> and then uploading as they are can i add one more thing in i know we said yes. we we're gonna do no ep stuff and that's fair no but, go for it uh the first song of the ep is a song called shelter your needs and this song also starts off that that piece or that album ep uh, in a way that is meant to incredibly stand out. I would say more so than the other two. Can I read it to yes. you guys? She goes, this is how the EP starts. The first ever Juliet and the Lick song. It starts, <laughs> put it in my hand. Tell me how much pressure it takes to get you off. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then that was like... She and then the rest of the song is about Israel. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but like she talks that part at the beginning, and it, I was listening to it, and I'm like, "That's that's okay. Yeah, like, that's a that's a choice." <laughs> um, in the song "Killer," there's a line that goes, "Chomping on pussy like chewing gum," and I thought it was gross. Yeah, me too. I thought it was bad for the pussy eaters movement. <laughs> um, and then the song "Get Up," I think, was maybe probably my favorite on the album uh it's just her telling her listeners to start their own band and then saying get up get up get up get up a bunch mm -hmm. right yeah deputizing them while also like 
still I think of it as a workout. And it's like, get up, mm-hmm. do it again. And and also like just the song is about like get up, do it yourself. Kind yeah. Of, yeah. I really am going to start going to the gym after this. I, I keep saying that. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, after teaching, there's a weight room at school. I can use it. <gasps> there's a weight bed. room at school? Yep. yep. And like I coach sports too, so I have to stay oh. to do that too. I might as well work out after the kids leave, but yeah. no, of course not, because I'm lazy in nature. It's also it, it. It also would it feel weird to use a children's gym? Do you think? Well, I mean, it's I mean, a, they're it's like a high, high school. Yeah, but... so like it, it's fine, but I, I would feel uncomfortable working out with kids mm-hmm. there. Um, but yeah. Uh, yeah, at least it's there if if I want to use it. I feel I wouldn't feel uncomfortable working out with anybody around. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, regardless of the... Actually, just amplified more if it were the kids that I taught. Yeah. But, like, if it's a random stranger at Planet Fitness, I'm equally mm-hmm. horrified. <laughs> yeah, I've been looking up gyms in my area, and it's just all places that do, like, group hardcore fitness classes. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm not trying to do this with, like, a community. Yeah. Because I'm going to be the weakest link. There's yeah. totally, like, validity to that Friends episode where it's like, I want to quit the gym. It's mm-hmm. really difficult. Like, I tried to leave, and I don't mind bad-mouthing them because they're horrible, New York Sports Club. Yeah. And, like, it was so difficult to leave. And then mm-hmm. even after leaving, um, they've been calling me years later. And they're like, we see that you've been a member, like, eight years ago. Do you want to rejoin? Ugh. And there was even a class action lawsuit about... Um, people who had been able to uh, leave somehow from New York Sports Club, and they Ooh. still charged them after oh their membership God. dissolved. Yeah. They gen shod them. I'm sorry, I can't be <laughs> referencing Real Housewives this much, yeah. <laughs> but one of the Real Housewives is going to trial mm-hmm. for basically doing that to like elderly people oh, wow. um, and defrauding them, and she is the only defendant in the case who has not taken a plea deal and has decided to go to trial on these federal charges. Wow. <laughs> And she's going to go to jail for, like, years and years and years. Sure. Can I tell my Planet Fitness escape story? Yes. <laughs> While we're talking about how hard <laughs> it is to... Okay. I had a, a Planet Fitness membership right before the pandemic. Ooh. And it's so it's so easy, right? $10. Why wouldn't you become a member, right? Yeah. Whatever. You're not there to do a million different things. I'm talking about me. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the pandemic hit. And I, everyone's first thought is, I better can, cancel my Planet Fitness membership. Mm-hmm. But they froze their membership, so nobody could cancel, and they, they weren't charging anybody. Still. But they're like, we're going we're gonna to freeze this, and I knew exactly what they were doing until you, you forgot. Yep. <laughs> until you forgot about it. Yeah. And then in September of 2020 they started charging you again because they, they were, like, opening to, like, limited oh, capacity. Yeah, yeah. But, like, at that time, like, my school wasn't even, like, mm-hmm. open. Like, yeah, like yeah. so I'm not, like, going to the gym. So I, like, forget about it for a couple months. So they charged me for a couple months. And then... Then I went to... Uh, I wasn't even in New York anymore. I was, like, in Chicago. And I'm, I called them up and I'm like, hi, I'd like to cancel my Planet Fitness membership because there was nowhere online to cancel it. There's nowhere online. So you, no. you, you called in and they're like, so we can't cancel it over the phone. We have two ways that you could cancel it. You either could come to this exact location and cancel it in person, which 
being not in New York, impossible, right? Mm -hmm. Like, what if you just moved, right? Yeah. Um, or two, send Planet Fitness a letter. And there's no, there's no details. There was no, like, form letter on the oh, website. It was literally like, what do you mean a letter? <laughs> like, 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 I'm just going to sit down and be like, dear Planet Fitness. Oh, my God. You're buying an entire book of stamps <laughs> yeah. for this where, one letter you're going to send. Where do I send it, Planet Fitness? Like, <laughs> where, 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 what do I put on it? How do you know that it's me? Yeah. yeah. Kevin, Kevin Burke from New York. Oh there God. could be more than that. You know, there like, totally could. I thought it was a different Kevin Burke on this podcast. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh. Um, he thought that it was Kevin Burke from LA. Oh my uh, my uh, my new friend, the other Kevin Burke. The other one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're the original. He's the other one. We're uh, we're internet friends, and we've never met. Oh nice. Yeah. I've got a few of those. Mm-hmm. I love my internet friends. Who would you say is the better Kevin Burke so far? Oh, so far, usually you. You're the only one I've spoken to. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Okay. Good. So we'll just clip that, and I'll send it to, <laughs> I'll send it to the other Heavenberg. Um, do we have any more thoughts well, on... Oh. Uh, some of the personnel changed from the first album to the second album, and this is why I think it sounds more polished, like notably Dave Grohl. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Dave Grohl yeah. was playing drums. Yeah. Like, what? Mm -hmm. Which, and it's funny, because like I knew Dave Grohl was on this album, and then... I got two songs in, and I have a note, and it says, yep, that's Dave Grohl. <laughs> like, it definitely sounds yeah, like And dude. so many of the songs sound like they could be Foo Fighter songs. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, as I was listening to this album, knowing, because I looked it up beforehand, that Dave Grohl was on drums, I'm like, think, I'm listening specifically to the drums being like, does this sound like Nirvana's drums? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it did. <laughs> totally. A lot of symbols. Um, and like vaguely disco beats, but like in a rock context, and that's very much mm -hmm. Dave Grohl. Um, I thought it was also interesting. Do you know what year Four on the Floor came out? Uh, it was two thousand six. Two thousand six. Okay, so this was well before. Because um, I'm just thinking, like, wow, she played with like an iconic drummer, and she from like 2015 to 2020 or so was dating Brad Wilk from uh, Rage Against the Machine, mm -hmm. Audio Slave, and you know all that stuff. Um, so, like, she just knows, like, get the cream of the crop. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, have you seen the trailer for that Foo Fighters horror movie that's yeah. coming out? Yeah, it came out um, on the 25th. Oh, uh, it came out? Yeah, so my uh, my sister is a huge Foo Fighters fan. We, yeah. we always go when they come to town, and uh, her birthday is the 25th. And I was like, oh, it's coming out on her birthday. Uh, but it, it's amazing because I think there's an album associated with it. Like they okay. wrote an album in that house, and then while they were doing it, it was like, "Wouldn't it be funny if we like made a like horror comedy movie?" Wow. Yeah. I want to see it. The, oh, I do too. I've never even heard of this yet. Like, I saw oh, there was a trailer for it at Scream Five. Yeah, that's and, right. Yeah, that's where I saw it. And I immediately texted my boyfriend. Oh, my Scream uh, Five is so good. Yeah, because he likes the Foo Fighters as well. Actually, I sent him. The first song from this album, and was like, "Hey, this is actually good." And he was like, "This is great." And it's because Dave, Dave Grohl is the drummer. David um, Grohl. But let me look up this movie because okay, it's called Studio Six Six Six. It's playing at like Regal Theaters and IPIC Theaters. It's like super super indie, mm. I think. And it's what a horror movie with the. It's Foo like Fighters a horror comedy. Yeah. yeah. It, it's like oh, and they... Whitney Cummings is in it. Yeah, 
so uh, Whitney Cummings has a podcast, and Dave Grohl was like the first guest on it, or at least the first big guest on it. So they they've had a relationship professionally for a little bit. Wow. Yeah. Oh, and Jenna Ortega's in it too, oh. uh, from Scream Five. Yeah, there's a New York Times article with the headline: "Foo Fighters made a horror film because why not?" Yeah, literally because why not? I think that's what Dave was thinking. Like, why not? I feel like they're at the stage of their career where they're just they could do whatever they yeah. want. Like, he was talking about it in the Hot Ones episode, like this past Thursday or two Thursdays ago, and like he even said, like I did it because it was fun, and then I looked at the dailies and was like, oh, there's a movie here. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Um, oh, I saw an interview with the band, and the guitarist Todd Morse said. I'm very protective of Juliet. I worry about her every time she stage dives, which she does a lot. Mm -hmm. So that's cool. What do we we think that Juliet and uh, the licks sounds like? Like when we hear them, what do we what do we think of? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, like I I thought like there's definitely Led Zeppelin uh, influence, but what rock band isn't at least somewhat influenced from Led Zeppelin? Um, the first album, like, um, got Love to Kill, I was like, man, they sound a lot like Eve 6. So I'm like, there's, like, a little bit of punk influence in there. Yeah, because it's not like they're, like, laden with solos or anything. Yeah, like, it's very riff-based. Like, the guitar parts are singable. If you're like, how does the guitar part go after listening to it once? You're like, yeah, I can sing it back to you. It's not like, oh, it's a bunch of chords and whatever. Which is cool, like, we need harmony. But, like, even to that point, it's, like, a single line. There's no oohs and ahs. There's not, like, overdubs or anything. It sounds like your typical power trio. And then it's just, like, I don't know, sexually driven blues rock with the occasional synth. Yeah. Yeah, like, part of it... I think part of her performance sounds like 70s-style rock. But, like, the band sounds like it could be, like, from 1995 or something yeah totally i can see that like the the 90s pop punk kind of like driving drums with like janice joplin-esque lyrics um and kind of vocal tone and then yeah everything else is just like your kind of generic rock band but like a lot of rock bands have like the same couple chords just like every like the axis of awesome like the four chord song all mm-hmm. pop songs are the same four chords in a row there's a reason like it works so, like, the way that anyone gets their identity is like, hey, I've got the same notes available to me that you do, so how do I express my voice? So, like, her tone is a big part of it, uh, which is very Janis Joplin-esque, um, kind of Robert Plant-esque, just without the high range. Um, but, yeah, the songs overall, it's just, yeah, good riff rock. Yeah. Um... I was just getting, in terms of her voice, kind of somewhat like PJ Harvey, Annie DeBranco mm. vibes, um, and uh, Patti Smith, as I said earlier, but specifically the Smells Like Teen Spirit cover that she did. Uh, so here on the Tony Awards, we give three awards to everything that we see, first of which is Best Prop. So did you guys do Best Prop for this? It's okay if you did it. Yeah. My my best prop was Dave Grohl. <laughs> <laughs> but that's objectification. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I, I 
kept thinking of prop as like something tangible, which is kind of difficult. So I was just thinking like a weird turn of phrase, like what can I give her props for? Ooh. Um, you know, giving her propers for. But um, and I was like, how like unique her voice is. Like I even put like this is what Nat from Yellow Jackets would have mm -hmm. been in if she weren't in the plane crash. Like yeah. she totally has her voice, at least by the second album. Yeah. Um, so I give her props for like, this is me and I know who I am. Yeah. Uh, my best prop was at the end of American Boy Volume 2, uh, while Juliette Lewis is going, I ain't no politician, over and over again. There's this insertion of just this male voice going, you know, it's hard work and we're doing the best that we can. Mm. <laughs> so my best prop was that guy. The next award is best Juliette Lewis moment. Uh, so what was yours, Kevin? Um, best Juliet Lewis moment from the start, and it was the thing that I <laughs> that I thought about the most was goes out. to the entire world. To the entire world. It's the thing that instantly grabbed me. For for good or bad, it grabbed me, and kind of sucked me in for the rest of the album. So I'm gonna say that moment. Uh, what about you, Joey? Uh, I kind of alluded to it before, but in the song Death of a Whore, like, it's so uh, Juliet Lewis that, like, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, and fuck you some more. Yeah. Uh, mine was in the song So Amazing off her first album. Just her pronunciation of the word strong. She goes strong. Mm. And I was like, ooh, that's, that, that's fucked up, girl. <laughs> 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 that's weird as hell. Uh, and the next award is a custom award, and it can go to anything. Uh, mine was uh, most BPD moment, meaning most borderline personality disorder moment. Uh, in the song By the Heat of Your Life, the lyric, the letters I sent went unreturned, like plucking the wings of a baby bird. I thought that was very uh, dramatic. Yeah. And they should have used it in the notebook. <laughs> They shouldn't have used it in the notebook. <laughs> yeah, when he's like, I wrote you every day, and I never heard back. <laughs> he's he's invoking Juliet Lewis here. Their whole discography could have uh, could have backed the notebook. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> Death of a whore at the end. Yeah, Nicholas Sparks could have written that. Yeah, yeah. Bullshit King. Oh, that, that's my custom award. Yeah. Uh, best song that's written about me. <laughs> <laughs> I, my note here said, is this song about uh, democratic socialist soft boys? <laughs> and then my custom award, and I was gonna save the EP thing for, for this time, but uh, best start to every project. Yes. Miss mm. Lewis. All right. Uh, so that's our podcast. Do you guys have anything to promote? Uh, yeah, I've got a couple shows coming up. Um... March 7th at the Cutting Room. I'm one of the guest artists for the New York City Ultimate Jam. It's this uh, charity that we do for my late friend David, who is the bass player for the Trans-Siberian Orchestra, and unfortunately passed away in a touring accident. So we've been, uh, we started this benefit for him, his brother, uh, and those around him. And, you know, we do this every month out in LA. Uh, and then I, I play in the New York ones. Uh, and then after that, my own band, uh, the Goodnight Darlings, were playing Mercury Lounge, our first show since lockdown, um, and that's on March 19th. Cool. What about you, Kevin? Do you want to say which high school you work at? 
Um, yeah, you can uh, <laughs> stop by my eighth grade classroom Monday through Friday. Um, if you want to learn about glucose regulation, I'd appreciate you stopping by. Um, other than that, I, I don't have anything to remote go to. Cool. So that's our podcast. Hail Paymon. Bye. Bye, everyone.